please uh, stand for our call to worship. When Jesus drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, and they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out.
please uh, bow your heads for our prayer of invocation. Our Father in heaven, we come before you after a long week of labor and attending to the cares of life. Many of us come this morning feeling great fear or anxiety or uncertainty about the future, facing the violence and corruption of our world, grave illness or deep pain and loss. We hear the voices of other gods calling us to hand ourselves over to them, gods that boast in their wisdom, might, and riches as they promise salvation. We acknowledge and confess the attraction that their boasts have upon us. We are a people in need of a great salvation. In response to our need and helplessness, you have brought us good news, saying, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. And in fact, our king has come, our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks, O Lord, for your steadfast love, which endures forever, because through Christ, you have opened up the gates of justice and righteousness so we might enter in. You have heard our groans and have become our salvation. Although our Lord Jesus was rejected, he endured the shame of the cross for our sins, and by the Holy Spirit was raised and vindicated on the third day for our justification. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Thus, with confidence, we rejoice in this day that you have made and are glad in it, for your saving power is revealed even today. So we can say in a song of thanksgiving, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, blessed forever. At this time, uh, children uh, in kindergarten through fourth grade are dismissed for children's worship. So as we enter into a, a time of confession, um, I just wanted to say that um, just as a reminder, this, this is a time for us to be honest with God. In confessing our sins, we are, we're not telling him anything he doesn't know. And as we confess and repent, we're saying that what God says about us and our sins is true and right. And we give up any claim to live as we please. But our confession is also an act of faith in the faithfulness and justice of God. And we're also declaring our trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus, for whose sake we receive pardon and are welcomed as God's children. So let's pray and sing together, after which we'll follow with a time of silent confession. crowd shouted, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They spread their cloaks on the ground and rejoiced as Jesus approached Jerusalem. But the same crowd shouted, Crucify him, just a few days later. Gracious God, we often acknowledge you with our lips while our hearts are far from you. We struggle to follow you when the way is too long or difficult. Give us courage to be faithful to you in all circumstances and to share in Christ's obedience and humility. Yeah. 
take this moment to uh, silently confess your sins before God. Lord, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, soul, and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we might be assured of your love and forgiveness and that we will be empowered to walk in newness of life, marked by obedience to your word and love and service to you and our neighbor. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please rise so we can... Speak our words of assurance. I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Um, as Christ has welcomed us into God's family, let us welcome each other this day.
The Old Testament lesson comes from Zechariah 9, 1 through 12. The oracle of the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach and Damascus as its resting place. For the Lord has an eye on mankind and all of the tribes of Israel, and on Hamath also, which borders on it, Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise. Tyre has built herself a rampant and heaped up silver like dust, and fine gold like the mud of the streets. But behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions and strike her down by her power on the sea, and she shall be devoured by fire. Eshkelon shall see it and be afraid, Gaza too, and shall writhe in anguish. Akran also, because its hopes are confounded. The king shall perish from Gaza, Eshkelon shall be uninhabited. A mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of Philistia. I will take away its blood from its mouth and its abominations from between its teeth. It too shall be a remnant from our God. It shall be like a clan in Judah, and Akron shall be like the Jezebites. Then I will encamp at my house as a guard, so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall again march over them, for now I see with my own eyes. Greatly rejoice, O daughter of Zilon. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the fowl of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations, and his rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river and to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoner of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. The New Testament lesson is from Revelation 1, 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending the angel to the servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, and who keeps what is written in it, for the time is near. 
John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the rulers of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from all sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom of priests to God the Father, and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming from the clouds, and every eye will see, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. see you all and worship together and glad to be able to celebrate uh, Palm Sunday together. Uh, we're going to look at a passage from Matthew 21 in, in just a moment, um, but as we have just seen, but maybe uh, maybe Palm Sunday is something new to you or maybe it's something that you have grown up with, but it's a Sunday that's filled with all sorts of images of palm branches, children procession, music, uh, anticipating and celebrating Jesus. And all these things as part of the worship are a way to help us think back or to kind of imagine or picture what was happening there in Jerusalem. Jesus riding upon a donkey. Palm branches waving loud songs of praise. Jackets, cloaks laid down to make a royal path. All coming together as if we can a picture in this loud and joyful and chaotic parade. Entering into a city that was swelling with people ready to celebrate Passover. And so what I'm, I'm hoping that we can do this morning is to, to look at our passage and, and to ask maybe a basic question is, what is this? <laughs> what, was, what was Jesus doing? And then to ask, why is it good news for us? So what is Jesus doing and why is it good news for us? But let's start by reading our passage. This is Matthew 21. You can follow in your order or your Bible. This is verse 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a colt, a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is God's word given for our good. Well, as I mentioned, we're 
going to ask, you know, what is Jesus doing? What's, what's happening here? Then a second question of how, how is this good news for us? And so to understand what Jesus is doing, we have to start not with the donkey or not with uh, palms or branches being waved, but rather we need to start with Passover. Passover, you might be familiar, is the annual celebration of God's victory over Egypt in order to release his people from bondage. The Passover was the climax of God's plagues upon Egypt and it marked the release of the Jews from Pharaoh. And now many years later, Jerusalem is swelling with pilgrims who have traveled to celebrate the Passover, to remember this significant event in the life of God's people. And Jesus is one of these pilgrims, one of these travelers. And the scripture, the context tells us that he's making his way from Jericho He's traveling from a city that was by the, the lowest place on the face of the earth. The Dead Sea's shore is over 400 meters below sea level. And Jesus and those with him make the slow climb upward from Jericho. And after days of travel, Jesus and his disciples arrive at a place called Bethpage, a village about a mile from Jerusalem. Bethpage is across what's called the Kidron Valley, and it's on the ridge, the Mount of Olives. And so from this mount, Jesus stops, and he can overlook Jerusalem, see the city glistening in the sun and resting on this smaller hill slightly across the valley. And it's helpful for us to know that as Jesus sees Jerusalem, where he is headed, that it is a city swelling with people. That during Passover, it grew to four or five times its normal size, it's, it's hard maybe to even imagine that, to imagine our city, Chicago, what would be like if it doubled or tripled in size due to a special event or people gathering. It was a city overflowing. And the Mount was a place not just to see Jerusalem, but it was a special place. Because from it, the, the prophetic story said that from the Mount of Olives, the Lord himself would come. That one day the Lord himself would come to release his people from their oppression and to bring them new life. And so it's standing in this place of promise that Jesus knows that it's time to announce his identity, to announce that he is coming as this king to redeem his people. He doesn't just enter Jerusalem. He engineers or he sets in motion a plan he sets in motion an event that has symbolic actions. He's intentionally evoking the, the story of God's anointed king who will come to bring a new kingdom. And he places himself at the center. It's hard. I don't know if you're like me in this. It's sometimes it's hard to, to grasp kind of maybe what culturally was happening or what people would see in this moment and what they would automatically right away connect with. And Maybe we can think in our own life, <clears throat> maybe there's something that you see without anyone having to explain it to you. As soon as you see something, you know what it means. Maybe things come to mind, but what, what came to my mind when I thought of these kind of cultural symbols, we could, if I see a cake that has candles burning on it, I know it's someone's birthday. If I see a woman dressed in a, a beautiful white gown, maybe holding flowers, having her photo taken, 
seeing a bride. If you're in Chicago and you notice that the river is green, or greener than normal, <laughs> we could say, it's likely St. Patrick's Day or the Saturday before. This is the type of things that maybe help us grasp what Jesus is playing into or what the people are experiencing. You see, if we're asking what is Jesus doing, he is intentionally bringing forth symbols that would speak about who he is. He knows exactly the type of animal that he wants. And he knows where the colt is located, so he sends his disciples, two of them, to go and put in motion the plan that he has. And Matthew wants us to understand, you know, as readers, maybe who are not familiar with those cultural symbols, he right away adds the prophecy. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold your salvation. Your king comes to you humble, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. You see, the entry, this choosing to ride in Jerusalem is deliberately provocative by Jesus. It is clearly communicating something. Riding a colt into the city during the season of Passover, he is casting himself as king. He is placing himself in this line of this story, this hope that people would have known. Behold your salvation. Your king comes to you. And Jesus' plan, as we can imagine, just as we would pick up on certain cultural symbols or signs, Jesus' plan is understood by the disciples, by the crowd. They make a show of recognizing what he's communicating first by their actions and then by their words. See, after securing the donkey, they place their cloaks on the animal to create a saddle for Jesus. Then some, seeing what's happening some of the crowd then take their cloaks, likely their only outer garment, their only jacket, and they lay it in the dirt road for the donkey to walk upon. Others, seeing what's happening, take their part. They climb up into the tree and cut down branches or grab hold of branches that they can wave or lay down as well as a, as a way to make a royal path for the one who was worthy. They wave and spread them to celebrate the king. And these also are cultural responses. Just like Jesus evokes a story, the people know their role to play. To wave a branch, to lay down your jacket in the road. These are things one would do for a special visitor, a royal visitor, to say, King Jesus, I honor you. And these actions of recognition then are followed by words. Words that show again that they're taking their place in the story. Those in front and those behind begin to shout and to sing, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna meaning God save. God save this anointed one, this Davidic king. God gives success to this one. Make your work effective to rescue your people. Hosanna in the highest is a way of saying, God, when you do this work, go down to the deepest places. Bring healing to all the places that need to be redeemed. Hosanna in the highest. What is Jesus doing? Well, Palm Sunday is an account that all four Gospels have. 
And they all give an understanding that Jesus is very intentionally and purposefully entering Jerusalem a week before he will be put to death. In a unique way, Jesus publicly is professing his identity. I'm the king who has come to establish God's kingdom, to rescue his people. Therefore, it makes sense that when Jesus and this kind of chaotic crowd of singing and of actions arrive into the city, we're told that the city is stirred up, but it's shaken, and people ask, what's going on? Who is this? In a sense, like, as we would hear in the Gospel of Luke, why would Jesus allow this to happen, these things to be said about him? And what I hope that we can do these many years after this event is that even now that Palm Sunday is a chance to consider again Jesus' identity. To receive his message about who he is. This entry that he crafts makes it very clear that Jesus wants to communicate that his identity is not that he's a wonder worker, not just some kind of national zealot who hated the Romans. He's not just a rabbi or even just a good person that we should emulate. What Jesus' actions say to us is such, such views are desperately too small. Desperately too small. He corrects such views or possible misunderstandings and that he is evoking the great story of God that God will redeem and save his people, establish a different kingdom on this earth. And not only is he evoking it, but he's placing himself at the center, saying that I, I am the one who will redeem you. I will bring about something that has not been brought about before. This is what Jesus is doing as he comes into Jerusalem. And so we can ask, then, what does that mean for, for us? What does it mean for you and me? And how is that good news for us? Well, there's probably lots of things that we could say, but I want us in particular to think a little bit about what the nature of the kingdom is, what the nature of this king is. And it's worth thinking his historically that the people of Jerusalem were not unused to notable people arriving in their city. In fact, the same week that Jesus entered Jerusalem from the east, historians tell us that Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of that region, arrived in the city from the west. Pontius Pilate came to Jerusalem to ensure that order would continue during Passover and also to conduct trials against those who were deemed threats to the Roman Empire. And so we can ask, how did this Roman governor, how did Pontius Pilate arrive when he entered into Jerusalem? He also arrived with all sorts of symbols. He arrived, historians tell us, mounted on a great war horse. He arrived with an impressive entourage of Roman soldiers, those on foot and also those on horseback. Scholars suggest that this entourage would have been of hundreds of soldiers, maybe even up to a thousand. And they would have joined Pilate with their large shields, their breastplates, their headpieces, their swords, and their spears. Symbols. Symbols of power and control and intimidation. 
And the crowds read the symbols and responded as well. Not responding with prayers to God, nor shouts of joy, or demonstrations of praise, their responses would have been actions of the intimidated, the threatened, the frightened. No one wants to draw the attention of that person or that group. And I mentioned this, these two entries, these two persons, because the contrast between Jesus and Pontius Pilate helps us see the good news of the kingdom of God. That God's kingdom is different from the kingdom of the world. That God's kingdom actually stands in opposition to the powers of the world. That Jesus' entry makes clear that there is another way, another reality besides the sword or the spear. And what I want us to think about as we ask, what is why is this good news for us? Is that Jesus and his kingship and his kingdom reveals that his kingdom is one of reversal. In which the low are lifted up. The people were singing, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We'll sing that, we sing that sometimes as well during communion. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And that line comes from Psalm 118. And if you read the, the full psalm, you see that the psalm that's being brought forth contains the theme of opposition and reversal. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in a human being. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in a prince. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous. The stone that has been rejected has become the very cornerstone of what's being established. See, Jesus receives this song, not just that he is the king, which he is, but it brings forth the type of kingdom that he is establishing. That he identifies with that term, even throughout the gospel, that he is the rejected stone who has become the cornerstone, the foundation. The kingdom that he establishes is not a place for those who have not fallen. His kingdom is not just for the strong or know how to control things. His kingdom is for those who know what it is to be lifted up. His kingdom is one of reversal. Maybe you've noticed the last couple of days in Chicago that it's still kind of cold, but I've, I've heard the birds chirping in the mornings when I've been out. Maybe a sign that spring is coming. It's always a little dangerous to say that in Chicago. It might snow, you know, tomorrow. But, uh, but it makes me think of things growing. And, uh, you know, in the garden over here to my right on, in North Waters property, there's all sorts of wonderful things, but there are four really large trees. And I don't know if you've ever thought this, but it's, you know, it's a wonder to see these large trees that give shade to the city. To think that they started just as a seed. Or maybe some of you are getting ready to bring forth a garden in, you know, a box or your backyard or a shared plot. 
and to see that there will be an abundance that comes forth that you can enjoy and eat, but it begins something very small. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus uses that very image to talk about his kingdom and how his kingdom is different. He says, my kingdom is like the grain of a mustard seed. Someone takes the seed and plants it in the field. It's the smallest of the seeds, Jesus says. But when it grows, it becomes the largest of the plants. It becomes a tree. And birds can come and rest and build their nests in it. Such is my kingdom. The kingdom of God looks very small. And often in the world's eyes or in the criteria that's all around us, it seems very insignificant. And think of Jesus here in our account. The colt that he rides in as king, he has to borrow the colt. The only riches that we know Jesus had are his holiness and his grace and his love. The gospel tells us that Jesus had nowhere to lay his head, that his life and ministry is intentionally oriented towards the least or the low. His arrival is good news for the poor and the forgotten, and that he enters into the deepest darkness. He is the stone that the builders, the strong ones, have rejected. He was not what they expected. And the small, insignificant seed, when it is planted, it grows into a great tree, a great shelter for many. And I know today, as we gather, many of us have experienced that shelter, a place of rest in the work that Christ has done as our king. In Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, God has planted and established the kingdom of God here on earth. So we can ask, how is this good news for us? Well, we're invited to loyalty to the rejected stone. Not that we're strong, but we are the lifted up ones. And in his achievement, in his kingdom, his kingdom that will not end, Jesus shows that there's more than the powers of the world at work. There's more to our identity than our sin or how others have treated us. There's more to life than the offers of the world to win or succeed or to gather as much as possible. Jesus' arrival is good news because it tells us that there is another reality that is true. I think as we close that Jesus arrives he is loved and he's being celebrated, but he's also surrounded by hearts ready to abandon him, plots to kill him, and schemes to betray him. The parade enters into a hurting and unsteady and a broken city that knows violence, oppression. It's marked with sadness and double-mindedness, fear and weariness. In the midst of it all, Jesus draws near humbly riding on a donkey. Jesus chooses to enter into the city of Jerusalem. He chooses to bring forth his kingdom. Just like he chooses to enter into your life, into my life. He enters into the places of darkness and brokenness to bring forth a kingdom of life. This is the good news. And therefore invites us not to live by the old ways of the old kingdom of selfishness, of greed or control but the new way of welcome, of forgiveness, of humility and sacrifice, of steadfast love.
these are the ways of our king. I pray that we would not only know what Palm Sunday is, but it would be good news to us today to think about who our king is and what it means to be part of his kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would encourage us by it, inviting us to know who we are in Christ and to invite us to walk in new ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us, we'll sing together.
be seated. Well, having heard God's word, we're now invited to come to the table that God sets for his people. This table is a picture of the kingdom of God and the nature of God's kingdom. And I suggest that it invites us to think about the idea of hope, that our kingdom, the kingdom that God has established is a kingdom of hope. In Romans, we hear that the God of all hope may fill us with hope by his spirit, that he may fill us with peace and joy as we trust in him. It's, if you're, if you're like me, we need hope to do all sorts of, really anything at all. We need to have a sense of hope that it matters. We need to have hope in order to act with courage or with virtue, sacrifice. And the table of, God, of Christ invites us into a hope that endures. That there's something greater than our sin. There's something greater than the evaluations and the powers of the world around us. There's a kingdom that's been established that we are a part of by God's grace. So this table invites us to know this hope of being forgiven, of being received, of being part of what God's doing in the world. And the good news is that it is for those who have fallen that Christ lifts up. He lifts by his broken body and his shed blood, and therefore our place in the table in the kingdom is by God's grace. So if you know that grace, then come and eat and drink. Let this be a table of nourishment to you, a table of hope this day. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you are gracious to us and that you have drawn near to us. That you didn't stay apart, but you entered into Jerusalem to redeem your people. You entered into our lives, into this world to bring a new kingdom and to bring hope to us. That there's something more than our own resources, more than our sin, more than how others have treated us, more than the world around us. And so we give you thanks, and we pray that you'd meet us here this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, on the night that he betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Of course, often as we drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I invite you to come down to center aisle to receive the bread and the cup and then go back on the sides. If you're able to hold the elements, I ask that you would do that so everyone's been served, that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not participating in communion, I still invite you to come forward just put your arm across your chest, and I'm happy to offer a prayer blessing for you here at the table. Those who are serving can come forward at this time, and let us come and receive the gifts that God has given us.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table, I invite you to stand that we can pray and sing as God's people. In an act of love, Jesus entered Jerusalem in triumph and was proclaimed King of Kings by those who spread their cloaks and branches along his way. Almighty God, you have redeemed us through Jesus. Give us courage to take up the cross of our King and follow him. together and praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue our time of worship by a time of giving, a chance for us to respond uh, to God's generosity by giving to the work of the church. And so I'm going to invite forward the, uh, the greeters, and they have a, a gray basket you can put your communion cup in, and they also have a, a silver tray. If you'd like to, to give a, a gift, uh, you're welcome to do so. You can also give through their website, or you can see in the note here by text as well if you'd like to, to give to the church. Um, also, I just want to take a moment to say welcome. Uh, it's good to be able to gather here in worship, and if you are visiting today or just start worshiping at LSBC, we're glad that you're here, and so welcome. If you would like to share your information with the church and to get the weekly email and, and learn more about the church, there is a, a QR code in the back of the order. You can use your phone and fill it out online, or there's actually uh, physical copies of uh, welcome cards in the back. Just uh, fill it out, and I'm happy to uh, share some more information about the church with you. Um, also, just a reminder that we have coffee and bagels after the service. They are in the Waters Cafeteria uh, to my left over here. If you go out behind the, out the gym and turn right down the hall, you'll, you'll, see, you'll make your way there. But hopefully you can stay after for a time of coffee and fellowship together. One last reminder that there are two services, special services this week, Thursday and Friday. As part of Holy Week, they're both at 7 o'clock here at Waters. And I hope you can join us if you're able. Let's continue giving our gifts to the work of God. Please stand and join us for the doxology. 
receiving God's blessing. Just one note, if you would like to have a, a palm and didn't get, didn't get one on the way in there, on the way out, there's a table that has palm branches and, and little palm crosses. There's also a, a books for about Easter for families that you're welcome to grab. So those are all available for you after the service. Now receive God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. May go in peace. Mm -hmm.